Hello and welcome to Nightlight. Now and then, a message is so important that it needs to be revisited. This is one of those messages. Originally given by Mary at a conference in Port Huron, Michigan, several years ago, but uh, numbers of people have asked for it, and we realized it had never been released on CD. Listen carefully as uh, Mary shares with you not only principles that we need to hear, but facts and realities of how she lives her life. You'll understand why my wife is one of my favorite speakers. I hope that it blesses and strengthens you as it does me. I've listened to this message more than one time and need it. I want to give you the scriptures according to the Velveteen Rabbit. If you haven't read this little book, you need to read it. Are any of you not familiar with this story? A few of you? I just want to start with that and share some excerpts from this book because it's a good introduction to what it's about this weekend. And it's a good introduction to who Clay and I are and what we're going to be talking to you about. Because what we're going to talk to you about is real. There's no hype. There's no no persona. There's no mask. What you see is what you get as much as the integrity of the Lord allows that to come forth in what we want to share with you. The time is short. Uh, The world around us is falling apart. And we don't have time to be polite and nice. God has called us to love. And he has called us to reality. This story is about a little toy velveteen rabbit who wanted desperately to become real. But he didn't know how to become real. So he thought that the way to find out how to become real is to go to the oldest, wisest toy in the nursery, which was the old skin horse who had been there longer than anybody else. What is real? asked the rabbit one day. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful, when you're real, You don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, the rabbit asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily, or who have sharp edges, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. The rabbit sighed. He thought it would be a long time before the magic called real could happen to him. He longed to become real, to know what it felt like, 
And yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. He wished that he could become it without these uncomfortable things happening to him. It's like that in the Christian life, isn't it? We come to Jesus Christ. We give him our heart. We give him our life. Uh, we're so excited and, and full of the joy of a love relationship that is new and beginning for us. And then we find out all the domains of our life that we really haven't given to him at all. We find out that there's more between just coming to Christ and giving our life to him and receiving him as our Lord and Savior and the rapture. That there's a whole existence of life to be lived between the time of salvation and the time of our death or of our uh, meeting with Christ in the air. And that's the reason Christ came to save us also. Not just to save us and come to live in our spirits and not just to take us home to heaven and to the Father, but to show us how to live life in between. And usually it's the life in between that the church doesn't know how to talk about. They talk a whole lot about getting saved, a whole lot about discipling people, getting them saved, and a whole lot about church stuff and activity and busyness, and a whole lot about the end times and going home to be with Jesus in heaven, a little bit about hell and a little bit about sin and a little bit about the cross, but not a whole lot at all about how in the world do you manifest Christ through my broken emotions? What do I do with my anger? What do I do with my lust? What do I do with my greed and my selfishness? What do I do with my mind that I can't, I can't even focus it on the things of the Lord for, for any amount of time? How do I get rid of this disease of introspection where I feel like I am continually turning things over and over and over again in my mind, trying to get things right, trying to be good? And the Lord says, Getting saved isn't about being good. At Calvary, you come to me, and you give me not only your sins, but you give me everything. You give me even your attempts at being good. You give me your attempts at being right. And in exchange, you get my righteousness. You get my robe of righteousness. It's not up to you to carry the bricks of being good. It's not up to you to live the Christian life without me. This is about relationship. The whole subject of this uh, the, tonight and tomorrow is relationships. And the first relationship we have to come to understand is the one that we have with our Father, our Papa, our Christ, our Lord, our Redeemer, the precious Holy Spirit. We were created by relationship and for relationship. We were created by love himself to love and to be loved. That is a meaning in life. It's not getting saved so we can serve people and get scalps on our belt and win people to Jesus and then start all over again. It's not about that. It's about learning how divine love himself can not only be there to help us when we call out to him, but know that he in God's us that he indwells us, that he lives inside of us, that the word once more becomes flesh in us if we want that. 
that he can come inside, not just into my spirit man, but he can come into my personality, he can come into my emotions, he can come into my intellect, he can come into my decision-making, he can come into every part of my, my humanness and transform me. But then we think, well, what about dying to self? What about getting rid of, of that sinful nature? I mean, isn't that what, you're, what that humanness is? No, that's not what that's about. Life in Christ is life in our humanness shining forth with the life of Christ in union with one another. It's about us uniting with Jesus Christ, not just receiving him in our spirits, but seeing him permeate and soak through every part of our humanness. What, what do you think redemption is about? He came to redeem a real you. There is a part of you that he wants to live, that he is calling you to life. There's a part of you that he wants to take into his arms and nurture with his love. And there's a part of you that he needs to give boundaries with that love. But we are like the world, aren't we? We we think that to be accepted and to be loved, that we have to do right, that we have to perform right, that we've got to act right, that we've got to look right. We've got to have the right look, and we've got to have the right smell, and we've got to have the right Christianese language, and we've got to be careful about what we say to who and how we say it, and it, the list goes on and on and on. And that comes from the broken human love trying to, to supersede and stand in the place of God's divine love, and it never, never, never can do that. That's why we grow more dependent as we get older as a Christian, not less dependent. It's not about the poster that you see so often in the Christian bookstores that has a little kitty on it, and he's got his claws, and he's hanging onto the fence, and it says, hang in there. It's not about hanging in there. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting. We're not called to try harder. We're called to trust Him. And do you know what the definition of trust is? What the definition of faith is? I love Tozer's definition of that, A.W. Tozer. It's a continuous, holy gaze on His face. That's what faith is. That's what trust is. And as you look on Him... And as you take the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your physical body and train them to see the invisible real, you find that you become what you behold. You find yourself becoming transformed from the inside out with his presence. What do we try to do? We try to do it from the outside in. We try to get busy with Christian stuff and hopefully we'll feel loved and accepted in the process of it. When we get the horse, I mean, we get the cart before the horse, you have the relationship with Jesus Christ first. You have that love relationship developed and nurtured. And from that place of union life with Him, that's where the service comes from. It becomes a service born out of joy, born out of wanting to please your lover, wanting to express uh, this this relationship that you have. You want to... You want to share it. You want it to be an overflow from your life. There are so many Christians that 
wear what they need to wear in church, but they live like the rest of the world. The statistics now show that Christian divorce is higher than non-believer divorce. And it's because of this weight that the church stamps on a Christian that you've got to perform and be right. Nobody can uphold that. That doesn't come from God. That comes from man. His name is love, and his love is perfect. We don't have a concept of what his love is about. We know that it moves away from him to us, and that for divine love to come into us and for us to unite with that is something that is supernatural, and it's incarnational, and we receive it by faith. We can't sit here and strain to try to believe that we're loved or, or try to get out there and do everything that we know how to do to earn it. All we have to do is receive the gift and then open it. It's no good to receive a birthday present and think, huh, you know, this is really nice of you to give me this, God, but I'm not really quite worthy enough to open this, so I'm just going to kind of sit it over here and I'll just kind of live my life and let me get cleaned up a bit more and then I'll come to, come to you and then I'll... Then I'll open it, because maybe by then I'll be, you know, I'll be better. I'll be more worthy to open it. And the Lord says, no, I love you just like you are. I want you with, with all your warts, with all your pimples, with all your limps, with all your brokenness, with all your sexual struggles, with all your compulsions, with all your relationship breakdowns. I want you just like you are. But I love you too much to leave you there, so it's going to get uncomfortable. If you want to become real, the Lord says, just like the Velveteen Rabbit's uh, truthful statement from the skin horse, it's going to hurt. How can you come into a real relationship with God and a real relationship with other people based on reality and endurance for eternity's sake if you don't begin to take down the masks and take down the personas and be willing to be vulnerable to one another. And that begins by being, first of all, vulnerable to the Lord himself. And most of us, we have such a skewed picture of who God is, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that means at all. What we do, we look through the grid uh, of how we look at God, of how we were bought up, of our experiences with mom and dad, of our experiences with the first authority figures that we knew. So we've got this whole grid of, you know, well, if dad's anything like mom and dad, I don't want anything to do with him. And most of us have broken places in our lives that we just don't know what to do with. And we come to church and we... we, we are wanting to learn and grow up in the things of the Lord, and we quite don't know what to do with this baggage. You know, we go for prayer, and we get prayer, and then we go for more prayer, and we read the Scriptures, but things don't seem to change. They don't seem to get better. But then we think, I wonder if it gets better for anybody else, or are they just kind of doing this too? I mean, nobody ever says this. I mean, am I just supposed to just like, you know, kind of just wait for this, you know, this faith thing to kind of hit me and it'll take root somewhere along the line or oh, I'm not. And we kind of fumble along in that without realizing that to get healed and to let these things begin to be dealt with 
by the blood of Christ is to let them come up into the light of his presence. We're not to repress them or suppress them or try to forget our our past or try to deny what happened to us as a kid or try to forget and forget that horrible divorce or that abortion that we went through or that, that horrible trauma that took place in our life. It's about letting that stuff come up and hit Christ on the cross because he bore those things in his body just like he bore the sin that you committed in his body. He took, took upon himself every mistreatment that ever happened to you, every betrayal that ever happened to you, every rejection, every abandonment, every sense of being smothered by another person, every, every sense of any kind of broken human relationship that there is, he bore at Calvary. So the way that we begin as we start this, this time together this weekend is with a challenge of getting naked, as we say in the South, just getting naked. Somebody said, naked? What is that? Naked. Unclothed. Get vulnerable. If you're here tonight on a Friday night, I figure that you're hurting bad enough or desperate enough to really want to hear truth. (laughs) You know, it's not everybody that will come out for a meeting on a Friday night on the subjects of broken relationships. So Clay and I are going to speak to you like you're serious. And the first place that you have to start is you've got to have the courage. And you need that courage from the Lord. You don't depend on your own courage. Compelled with all his strength, Paul says. You ask for his courage to begin to let the walls down, let the defenses down just a little bit. God's not going to ask you to bear your whole soul and to lose and have a mental breakdown in two days' time because God is a gentleman. He's not a rapist. He is good and he is holy and he is loving. He is not anything like your broken father or your broken mother or that person that hurt you that was an authority or whatever that hurt in your relation, your relation, relational life is, whatever hurt that came down to you from an authority figure, God is not like that. Human love is broken and it's fickle. But wait a minute, we're Christians. Why are you telling me that? Christian love is broken and Christian love is fickle because we are made of flesh and dust. And unless we lean upon Christ and lean upon his breath, and depend upon our relationship with Him, we can't live this Christian life without burning out and crashing. We're we're seeing it all over the church. Trying to carry one more brick of goodness, one more brick of righteousness, one more heaviness on our shoulders of keeping faith. And we can't do it. God didn't design our human body to do that. He designed our human body to be his temple. That's what this body is for. It's to be his dwelling place. It's to be the place to where Father, Papa, Abba comes with Jesus and makes home in there. Not just on Sunday and not just in a worship service, 
but when you're driving on that part of town and you're tempted to go back in that porno shop again, where you're, you're driving down the road and you're so tempted to fall back into that nostalgia that you had pulled yourself out of and you're just so tempted, the day's been so hard and you can feel your mind going there. It's right in the middle of all that that He wants to live with you. It's right in the middle of the struggles that He wants you to let it come up to Him. So many of us quit praying when we get down on our knees and we get down on our faces and we say, I don't know how to do this, God. I, I want to seek you. I want to love you. I want you to reveal yourself to me. But I keep, all this stuff keeps coming up and I just feel so slimed. I can't do this. And all the time the Holy Spirit is saying, but, but, but my son, my daughter, that's, that's healing. I want that stuff to come up and out of you. I want you to give it to me. You can't handle it. You can't deal with it. You can't repress it enough. You can't suppress it enough. You can't exit out of your life enough because it'll be just like a beach ball pushed underwater. It's going to come up. It's going to come up somewhere. And what it usually comes up with is in a disguised area, like anger, that you don't can't quite get a handle on. Why can't I deal with this thing? Or depression. Why do I keep bottoming out, Lord? Or burnout? Why am I always so tired? Or feeling like you're just in a desert with the Lord? You feel, you feel just dry? Like, you know, why aren't things changing? Why aren't things progressing here, Lord? And what we find out is the sense of God's presence is not the same as His presence. And so often what we worship is the sense of his presence, not his presence. There's a difference. It's this thing where our emotions begin to dictate to us how to live. And do you know that most Christians live by how they feel, not by their faith? You wake up in the morning, it's a, you feel good, so you think, oh Lord, thank you. It, it's it's going to be a good day. Praise God. And you feel close to the Lord, and you feel His presence all day. But you wake up the next morning, and you've got a headache. And that place that you worked out in the gym is really just giving you a fit, because you overdid it. And you think, you know, this is just kind of rough today. And then you get out of bed, and the kids are just going nuts. And then the dog had an accident during the night, and you've got to clean it up. And you think, okay, God. This just can't be from you. Where are you when I need you? And because of how we feel, we put that face up on the Lord as well. We live by faith as we, we put our eyes and put our affections and put our focus and as we fix the eyes of our heart on the invisible real presence, not the sense of it. We don't make that an idol in our hearts when the times are good. Thank God we have those seasons of joy and goodness and sweetness. But they're just as wonderful when we have to acquiesce and take hold of that presence just by faith. And that's where becoming real, as the Velveteen Rabbit was afraid of, is going to hurt. That's where we have to choose to believe even when we don't want to believe. Do you realize that Jesus very seldom talks about getting your belief systems lined up? 
He, but he does talk a whole lot about fixing your heart, getting the things in your heart right. The way that we change folks isn't by memorizing scripture and trying to do all the outward right things. The way we change is we begin on the inside. We begin to see the interior life as having priority over our out, outer life, our exterior person. It says over and over in the scriptures, God looks on the inward parts. I look beyond what you do. I look beyond uh, what you believe. I look to the motives of your very heart. I look deep inside of you. And that's the true self. That's the real you that I call forward. And as you've given your life to me, as you've placed your life in my hands, that real self is forming. And now I want that true self to begin to shine through the rest of you. Because you know what the Lord says? I love your humanness. I love your humanness so much that I became a baby. Your sinful nature isn't your skin. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not your humanness. I've come to give you your dignity back as man and as woman. I've come to remove the sword between the sexes. I've come to remove the sword between the relationships that are broken in your life. That's the purpose of the whole work of Calvary. It's the work of love. No greater love than a man has than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And the thing is, we're not only his friends, we're his bride-to-be. Have you ever contemplated what it's going to be like at the great feast, the great wedding feast, when in that ceremony of however God there wants to do it, that he will lift the veil and kiss the bride? We are the bride of Christ. And they will, there will be a time of that veil being lifted, just as at one time the veil was rendered in thunder. It's going to be a different kind of veil in the end of the age. But the precursor of that is given in the Scriptures for life on this side. The Trinity, the God that is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, said in Genesis, let us make man in our image. So he created them male and female. We were created by the relationship of the Trinity for relationship with him and with one another. And a right relationship how to view ourselves. Have you ever thought if you love your neighbor like you love yourself, your neighbor better move? Seriously, there's a whole lot of self-hatred in the church. Because we're not taught what to do with it. We're taught about there's a part of us that needs to die to self, and there's a part of us that we need to bring to Calvary. But then we think, well, what about the part that Jesus died for? And, and how do I get this sorted out? And, and what is sin that has to be asked forgiveness for and repented for? And, and then what is uh, wounds and, and, and hurts and brokenness that needs to be healing? And then what is that stuff that's so nasty that needs to be slayed? And all this stuff kind of just gets to be this, this kind of this muggy thing in us, this confusing aura of fog. And we don't know what it means. And all the Lord is saying to us over and over continually is, Come unto me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You take my yoke upon you because it's not a hard one because I want you to have rest for your souls. Now, that's truth. Jesus can provide that for us if we will come unto him. And what's his yoke that we're supposed to take up? It's not a yoke of works. It's not a yoke of a right attitude. It's not a yoke of right doctrine. It's not a yoke of going to the right church. It's not a yoke of reading your Bible so many hours a day or praying so many hours a day. It's the yoke of love. The yoke of getting naked with God. Being vulnerable to one that is perfect love. That has no intention whatsoever of ever hurting you or leaving you or forsaking you or inflicting evil upon you or punishing you because you messed up in the past somehow. He is a God of love that comes with godly discipline, which is the boundaries of the loving, protective arms of a husband. Do you know what husband means, the word husband? It means house binder. Not binder upper, but bind up like you bind up a wound. And he is our husband. The Lord Jesus Christ is to come around us and encircle us with protection, with the boundaries of his discipline. That's part of his love. You ever seen a kid that grew up with, without discipline? Were you that kid that grew up without discipline? All the time looking for that boundary to hit, somebody to care enough to say, hey, that'll hurt you. And this whole book, this love letter to us, is about how to live. Hey, adultery will hurt you. And this whole book, this love letter to us, is about how to live. Hey, adultery will hurt you. Lying and stealing and lusting and killing will hurt you. Exaggeration and putting religious stuff on the outside is going to hurt you trying to be good and trying to struggle and live the Christian life in your own strength is going to kill you. It'll hurt you. Come unto me. Come unto me. Live your life with me and in me. That is what it's about. It's been said by one of the early church fathers that we were created out of the laughter of the Trinity. Think about that. Swim around in that. The expression of love is always to move away from the giver of it. It's always to move outward. But you know what our human loves do? They do this. They pull back to ourselves. I'll love because maybe if I love, I'll get love back. It's, it's human. It's, it's a broken human love. We can't help but love the only way that we know how. And because of the fall that we thought about on ourselves, not God, that's broken in us. But what we need to learn to do is to bring our broken loves before him and say, Lord, I can't love right. I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to deal with this, but you do. 
Now I ask you once more to incarnate me in this area. You come and once more make the Word become flesh in my love life. Make the Word become flesh in this area of anger. You come into my sexuality and you make it straighten up because I can't do it. I can't control my body. How in the world can we think that just because we belong to Jesus Christ that we can automatically make our emotions line up and our bodies behave when all our life they've been trained for unrighteousness without even nobody teaching us? You have to invite Christ into that part of your humanness before he can have a free reign in that place to begin to transform you. And that's the painful part because we've been taught all our life not to be real. I mean, we, let's face it, folks. We've been taught to put forth your good face. Put, for, put forth the good. You know, look good. You know, we, we were told by our parents, don't you make me look bad. When we go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, you know, you don't, don't you act like that. You put on your best behavior now. You be good. And some of us, we had little things that we had to do every week, and we got a gold star. Oh, we were good. But if we were bad, oh, that's bad. And we began to interpret ourselves according to whether we were good or whether we were bad. And that's not how God looks at us at all. He sees us as precious, precious people, his beloved children that he is calling to continually. But he never yells. He's waiting for us to get quiet enough to hear his whisper. And sometimes our worship is so big and so loud we can't hear it. And sometimes we've got the Christianese going all around us that we can't hear it. Now, folks, I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong. Clay and I love the church. Our ministry is to the church. We're grieved over the church because it's dying. It's wounded. It's like that, that, that man left on the side of the road. It's worse off than the world in some places. In marriages, it already is. In divorce rates. God have mercy on us if we don't begin to wake up and smell the coffee. It's not about us. It's not about having a ministry or finding the will of God for our life. The will of God is what's right in front of you. That difficult husband to love. That difficult child to deal with. That relationship that is so uncomfortable at work that you would rather just quit than face it. It's the challenge to be real enough to recognize you can't love in your own strength and you can't forgive in your own strength. But with Christ, all things are possible. It's so clear in the scriptures, we can do nothing without him. We've proven that, haven't we? We can't do anything without him. We've got to let appearance that has replaced reality, begin to crumble and die. We've got to begin to get real, first of all, with the Lord. And then we've got to get real with ourselves. And then the hardest part is to get real with each other. But we won't talk about that yet. Tonight we'll just talk about getting real with God. I don't want to scare you all away and you don't come back tomorrow. Believe me, what, what is on Clay and I's heart the body of Christ is good news. It's not bad news. But there is struggle and there is pain. It's part of the reality. 
C.S. Lewis says, there's, there's two places where there's not pain and there's, there's not love. There's, there's no pain in heaven. There's no love in hell. But between the two, you've got both. Because when you choose not to love, you choose to entomb your heart and entomb your life, and you will die. Your life will suffocate. When you choose to acquiesce, to go through the motions, and just give up on the quest of love and the quest of life and the call of Jesus Christ to transform you, you have, you have done the greatest disservice to him and grieved the Lord even greater than if you hated him and shook your fist in his face and said, I hate you. Because the opposite of love is not hate, but it's indifference. It's sloth. It's atrophy. It's giving up. It's going with the flow, trying to fit into the system, trying to, trying to be part of the group. And you give up that personal relationship and that personal encounter that is so sweet and so rich. And it's the best and most deepest and intimate relationship that you'll ever have in your whole life. Jesus Christ is the only one that you can say, do you remember this, Lord? Do you remember that, Lord? He's the only person that's been with you through every moment of your life. He didn't call us to get ourselves straightened up and then come to him. He said to come as you are. Let me take care of you. A garden can't weed itself. The gardener takes care of the garden. You are my created glories. And I want to take care of you. I want to heal your wounds. I want to heal your bruises. But you've got to bring them to me. Most often what happens to us in our journey of life and as we journey into the Christian life is that somehow or other we X off those places in our lives that don't seem to measure up with being a Christian. We kind of just let those places in our life kind of be under the blood somewhere and the forgiveness thing kind of covered that and fixed that. And we don't realize that God wants those bought to Him. Do you realize that that, that part of you that was damaged as a child or damaged in that marriage or damaged in that divorce or whatever that hurt or trauma was, at that point, there's a part of you that died. There's a part of you that stopped growing. And then what, what do we do when we, when we are trying to, to incorporate this into our Christian life? We're sitting there, you know, um, hmm, that just doesn't reconcile with living the godly life. So what am I supposed to do with this? So we try to divorce ourselves from who we were. And the Lord's saying, oh, wait a minute, I love you. I chose you. I'm the one who, who caused you to be conceived in your mama's womb. I'm the one who ordains you, and I'm the one who called you into life. I've been with you through it all. Don't divorce yourself from any part of you. Go back and embrace that hurt child that you were. Embrace that devastated husband that you were when, that, when, your, when your wife left, when, when that uh, loved one died. Go back to that place of hurt and embrace who you were and bring yourself to me. Come unto me like a little child. Let the little children come unto me. Have you ever thought about, you were a little child once. 
do you let that part of your life come into the presence of the Lord? Or have you tried to repress it and keep it back in the past somewhere? This isn't about psychology, folks. Psychology simply means the study of the soul and who created the soul. Almighty God. And he created the soul to magnify the Lord. This is what worship is all about. Training our emotions and our bodies to magnify the Lord. We didn't have to train our bodies to sin, but we do have to train our bodies in holiness. I want to give you some scriptures about where we're going to be headed. In John 3.16, and most of us can quote this, but I want, to, want you to hear it with different ears in the light of what I've said tonight. For God so loved the world, and in the place of the world, I want you to put your name. For God so loved Mary that he gave his one and only son, that if Mary would believe in him, she would have eternal life. Do you realize that just believing the right things up here with your intellect, with your reasoning, isn't what Jesus is talking about when he says, believe on me? He's saying, go deeper than your head, folks. Go down to your heart. The very things you carry deep within, the images and symbols and pictures of who you think I am, of who you think man and woman are, of what you think marriage is, of what you think church is, all the way you look at life, all those primal things in you, in your soul, I want you to believe on me with all that is within you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's a call to your human parts to magnify the Lord. We have to come into a place of union life with Christ to learn how to bring these broken places in our relationships to Him. Otherwise, we do it just like the world does it. We say, Superman, problem, come fix it. And then we want Him to come and fix whatever the mess is, the marriage or the, the kid that's gone out in the world or that breach at church, somebody's mad at us. And then we get it all fixed. And then we say, okay, you can fly away now. I can go back and do, you know, I can live my life now. Thank you very much. We really, really, really only want God to be Superman. And that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about a doctrine first or a theology first or a set of belief systems first. It's about a person, a relationship with a person who wants to come and live with you. And he doesn't want to just live with you in the parlor. He doesn't want to just live with you in the living room and have tea with you or have, drink a Coke or whatever it is that you do. He wants to come into your bedroom. He wants to talk about your sexuality or the lack of it. He wants to talk about what's under the bed. He wants to talk about what's in the attic. He wants to talk about what's in the closet. He wants to go in the basement. He is not satisfied, and he pursues us with love. But it's perfect love. See, when we hear that on our human eardrum, it's like all we have the category for is our broken human loves. And so we get a skewed picture of God and then we get angry at him when we think, well, why did this happen? I'm serving you. I'm doing all I know. How? Why did this happen? 
how could you let this happen to me? We don't have a clue that in his grace and mercy, he is allowing the things in our life that are unsorted to stay unsorted until we come to him. He's wanting a relationship with each and every one of you. If you are not sitting at your place at the feast, it's going to be empty. The expression of God in your flesh, the expression of God through your personality, is the only way that God can manifest through you. And if you are missing, if you choose not to love, you are causing the rest of the body of Christ to suffer because there's a part of Jesus that's not being reflected in the earth. You ever thought about that? The worth of why he died just for you? That if it would have been only you, he would have died? John 15, 16, the words of Christ. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And put your name on that. Mary, you didn't choose me. I chose you, Mary. You think you're seeking me, but I caused you to try to seek me and cry out for me. You cannot miss me, the Lord is saying to us all the time. If you are seeking me, you will find me. You cannot miss God if you're seeking God. Now, if you're seeking self-gratification and you're calling it seeking God, if you're seeking a platform for yourself and a platform of whatever for you and you want to use God as your means of getting there, you're going to hit brick walls all over the place because he's going to let you hit the brick walls because he loves you because it's not about you and it's not just about him it's about union life with him there's a part of you that's been given authority over your soul and over your body to call it to a life of holiness and this is where you learn to cooperate with the holy spirit and you live in the joy of his strength. And your energies don't depend on your own emotions. Emotions are human energy. That's why depressed people have very flat emotions. Their energy levels are flat. We're not dependent on that in the Lord. We are compelled by all his energy, his presence, his personhood in us. John 14, 18, again, the words of Christ. And again, put your name. I will not leave you, Mary, as an orphan. I will come to you, Mary. We think, where were you, God, when that happened to me? How in the world could that have happened? How can you be a good God? And all the time, we don't realize that Jesus was right there with us. There's a real popular uh, country song out there about a little girl. Uh, I don't know if many of you have heard it or not. It's a, a great, great song uh, about um, being in the room where her parents died, hiding behind the couch. Have y'all heard that song? Find it and hear it. I don't know what it's called. Does anybody know the name of it? It's called The Little Girl Song. The Little Girl Song. John Michael Montgomery. John Michael Montgomery. You need to, you need to hear that song. It's, it's an incredible song. It's about the realization that Christ was with her, and she didn't even know it was Christ that was with her through this, this trauma in her life. But you know what a lot of Christians do? 
they don't even look for Christ back in the horrible times of their life. They just they just do this to him. It's your fault. I'm angry at you. I'm disappointed in you. You haven't come through to me. You haven't come through for me. And all the time, we're blaming him for the stuff that's our fault. Maybe not ours personally, but the fault of the broken, sinful human condition that is in the earth. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then you know what what the scriptures go on to say? It's the Orthodox people that have this problem. Do you know what that means? It's church people that have these problems. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about church people. It's talking about we're going we're gonna to forget that it's about divine agape love. And we're going to get centered again on our own human loves and our own human energies to try to live this Christian life. We're going we're gonna to forget how to love. This word, without love, is without storge in the Greek, S-T-O-R-G-E, which is family affection. It's healthy touch, and it's healthy eye contact, and it's healthy communication and voice contact. We're going to forget how to do it. Our relationships are going to begin to falter, and we're not going to know how to do anything about them. We're not going to know how to talk to each other. We're not going to know how to really look at each other and slow down enough to really see each other. We're not going to know how to cry out to God and say, Lord, I want to see who that person really is. I want to see past all this mire of this broken relationship and see who that person really is in your eyes. You created them to be something, and I want to see who that is. And it takes effort. It takes effort to become vulnerable in that place. To receive his love. See, most of us fear his presence as much as we fear his absence, don't we? You know, don't get too close, but don't get too far away. I mean, don't make me a radical, God. Don't let me be any kind of weird Christian or Jesus freak. But help me learn how to live life a little bit better. And see, the thing is, it says in Ecclesiastes that we have a God-shaped hole in us. God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And what we try to do in our brokenness is stuff relationships down in there. We stuff people in there. We stuff sexual activity in there. We stuff being good in there. We stuff acting right or getting another degree in there or uh, workaholism in there or, you know, memorizing scripture. We'll, We'll try everything before we'll just say, you know, you're the only one that can fill this. My deepest desire is for you, Lord. An infinite desire cannot be filled by anything finite. And all I'm trying to stick in there is stuff of this world. And it doesn't work. And so many of us try to put human love in the place where divine love has to unite with our human love. And that's where we miss it. We try to, we try to deal with our broken relationships and our own strength and our own broken human love. And we'll falter and fail every time. 
John 14:20 and 23. Again, the words of Christ. And again, put your name here. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am in my Father, and you, Mary, are in me, and I am in you, Mary. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, we look at that, and we turn that around in our heads. We think, if I'll obey his teaching, he'll love me. Not that if we love him first, then we'll obey. See, if you try to obey without love, he'll burn out. If you're, if you're trying to people-please other people in church or people-please your family or people-please your spouse or your kids or your mom or dads or your friends or the pastor or the youth group leader, or you're going to burn out. It's about Jesus and it's about you. And if you don't know Jesus, maybe, I mean, maybe you've accepted him, but you don't know him personally and you've never even realized the gravity of a personal relationship is what this is about. You, you, some of us just kind of think that's some kind of a spiritual thing somewhere like, you know, oh, that's not really real, you know, that's just something you kind of believe and then you just live life. No. He's come to transform and give life. We don't know what life is. We don't know what life is. We don't know what life is at all. I never will forget the story about the guy who tried to kill himself. He thought, you know... I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of my rope. I think I'll just use the end of the rope. So he takes the rope and he throws it up over the cross beam, makes the noose, pulls the little stool thing up there underneath it, climbs up there, puts his neck in the, in the rope, tightens it, kicks the, the, the stool out from underneath him and falls to the ground. And he says, I can't even, I can't even kill myself right. I can't even do this right. And he gets up and he's walking away and he hears this noise. And he turns his head and he looks back and his body is swinging from the rafter. Nothing's changed. He's still him. And he, he looks at himself and he realizes, I'm still me. We have to learn to die before we die. And the kind of death that we're called to, folks, is not to kill our humanness, not to kill our, our personalities and our emotions and our wills and our intellects, but it's to kill our desires to rule ourselves. It's, to, it's to, to take our masks and our personas and, and burn them, let them fall to the ground. And it's to learn how to become vulnerable. Remember, we live in an upside-down kingdom. It's not like the world. In the world, to get ahead, you've got to strive. In the world, to be a good ministry, you've got to be PR. And you've got to be ahead with all the technology. And you've got to be on the cutting edge. But a ministry in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. Get down and wash people's feet. Be a messenger boy. Be a messenger girl. Promote Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Lift up his cross. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves, again, put your name there. Don't you know that you, Mary, are God's temple 
and that God's Spirit lives in you, in you. He's not just with you, He's in you. God's temple is sacred, and you, Mary, are that temple. You are not disqualified because you sin. There is provision for sin to be forgiven at Calvary. We don't live by the doctrine of sinfulness. We have been given new life in Christ. We live according to the doctrine of holiness. We don't define ourselves by our sinful behavior, by our lowest self. We look to Jesus and we see who we are reflected in his face. And we live practicing not the presence of self, but practicing the presence of him with us. That's life. And healing begins to happen in that context. When you're not so, so focused about getting the relationships fixed for your feeling better and to make you better and, and to, to make it more comfortable. Because sometimes things have to get more uncomfortable before they can be healed. I mean, have you ever had a, a bad place in your, in your teeth and it, when the air hits it, it oh man, it, you just, ugh. But you're so much more afraid of the dentist than you are of the pain that you stay away from the dentist and so you take cotton and you stick it down in there. Or when you drink something cold, you put your tongue over there like this and you're, you know, chew on one side for months and months and months. But finally, finally the pain gets so great that you literally fall into the hands of the dentist and say, oh, do anything, but, but, but make it stop. Sometimes getting healed is like that, folks. We put so much cotton down there, so much Christ, Christian ease that doesn't have anything with what anything to do with what Jesus said. That we've got we've got to take the cotton out, we've got to let the air hit it, and then we've got to let Him fill it. We've got to let Him deal with it. And sometimes the relationships that we want Him to deal with are because we haven't dealt with relationships that are in our past. We will become or we will project on other people what we don't forgive. And if we haven't dealt with a broken relationship with our mom or our dad or our brother or our sister, an aunt, an uncle, uh, that Sunday school teacher, that coach, that uh, person we used to work with, if all those things are, are out of sort in our life, it's, it's really difficult to be able to, to hold forgiveness out in front of you. This is real stuff. I thank you, Papa, that you love us. And I thank you, Lord, that the foundation of life is in you. And I thank you so much that you came to give us that life. And I just ask you, Lord, to continue to help us hear better than we can hear and help Clay and I speak better than we can speak about real things and real problems in relationships because that's what this is about, talking about real stuff and dealing with it. We thank you so much that you love us and you're concerned about those things. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.